Hello, this is Rob Hart, host of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. We wanted to make you aware of a brand new podcast hosted by the show's producer. It's called Gains with Andy Gersher. So if you're a fan of the Noon Business Hour, and especially of the experts we talk to every day, we think you'll enjoy this podcast. Give it a listen, and be sure to subscribe on the Odyssey app or Apple Podcasts today. Everybody's talking about inflation nowadays. It seems like that was the big theme you know, finishing 2021 and heading into 2022. And when you have inflation accelerate or decline in a big way, there's always opportunities to make some big cash. I'm Andy Gersher. This is Gaines. So let's bring on Andrew Bush former Chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodities Futures Trading Commission and economist at andrewbush.com. Uh, Andy, I mean, you've been based out of Chicago for years. You've moved. What, what, what do I say here? Where are you yeah, based yeah. out? Yeah, I mean, I moved in 2021, and it stunned me how fast my household uh, just outside of Chicago. Uh, that I was not expecting. So the whole thing got moved up but uh, quickly. But I moved down to Charlotte, and um, – it's been interesting, to say the least. Uh, uh, from a home price standpoint, it, it was a little tough to swallow. I, I did something, Andy, I, Gersh, I would never have thought I would ever do, and that was buy a house that appreciated 40% in two years. Oh, my gosh. That, yeah, that's like I mean, crypto. Like, that's I, like crypto-type gains. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and that just it, – it, you know, that's just a hint – of what we're going to talk about today with inflation. So I just want to put that out there. You know, the experience a lot of people have is it's so much easier to sell your house than it is to buy another one. Oh, that's something I'm hearing uh, from a lot of people selling it. You can sell it really quick, get top dollar, but then um, buying another one to live in after might not be so easy. And especially in areas like you, you mentioned, North Carolina, I, I, a ton of people are moving down to North Carolina. I even have family members who live in the coastal, who've moved down to the coastal Carolina area and love it. And there's a lot of retirees from New York and, and the East Coast there. Uh, Florida, there's, there's certain places that if you, you're deciding to leave Chicago and go to some of these places, you may have difficulty finding a, a house uh, that's comparable to what you've had in, in Chicago or wherever you're moving from. So that, yeah, that's certainly interesting. And that's kind of a, a good launching point to what, to what we're talking about today, which is inflation. And we've, we've been hearing about this for a while, energy, we've talked housing, we've talked about inflation because of shortages and issues in the supply chain. So this is a, a, a big tangled mess of, of Christmas, uh, lights that we've just taken off the tree and are in a big ball. So we're going to have you, you know, as we neatly put them away, I'm transitioning here as we're neatly putting away our Christmas <laughs> decorations. And we got that, 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 uh, the, the Christmas lights that are now in a tangled ball, we'll have you kind of untangle it, untangle inflation for us. Andy start what, and you just alluded to, you know, in housing, but just kind of set the, or the landscape here, so to speak on uh, just all the inflation in the areas we're seeing it. And then we'll eventually talk about ways of maybe making gains off or, or exploiting uh, higher inflation to, that could lead to big gains. So just start, set the scene here, Andy. Sure. Well, let's start with 
you know, real estate since we talked about it. And and so much of the inflation that we're seeing, obviously, has been generated in this environment of COVID, right? So that's that's the key catalyst for what we're going to, you know, utilize to, to give us uh, an understanding of the inflation that's occurred today. And, you know, when you're seeing things like the Case-Shiller um, 10-city housing price index go up at rates of like 20 and 19% for consecutive months in a row, you know you got something special going on. So what's driving that? Well, a lot of it has to do with the fact that so many people under COVID were stuck inside apartment buildings, stuck inside of condos, uh, living in major cities, that they said, hey, if this is gonna continue for more than a year, I want out. And especially millennials who had just begun to form families or have a kid, I mean, that's the last place you want to be. So it's something, you know, economists like myself and others have been looking at for a long time. What would begin that sea change where millennials stopped moving into cities, right, and began to uh, revert back to things that were happening in the, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s, which is, you know, you lived downtown for a while, but when you got married, you moved out to the suburbs. So that's what we saw. That's another thing that lit the fire there is, is people wanted to get out of the cities and they wanted more space. And what also drove that, Andy, of course, as you know, is the fact that so many people were not going into work, right? So if you didn't need to go into work, then you didn't need to live close by where you worked in a major city. Now, that has a lot of implications because if you don't have to go into work, then you do have to work at home. That means you got to have a home office. That means you need technology for that home office and you need things like furniture for that office, right? You need a desk, you need a chair, you, you need and go down the list. So that begins the momentum of the shift in spending patterns that occurred in the economy under COVID that went from where we're spending 70% of our money on services to now a reduced amount because you can't get those services to buying goods. And that's at the heart of what's driving inflation and continues to drive inflation to this day. And, you know, another aspect of just people moving out, and, and I've seen this firsthand, you know, living in downtown Chicago, cities are literally shells of their former selves. Yeah. Uh, and why? It's sad. Yeah. It, oh, it really is, especially when you've lived, you know, in a downtown area for 20 years and seen just a thriving scene of retail, theater, Restaurants, restaurants, activities. Yeah, Chicago is such a jewel yeah. for the Midwest, and then to see it hollowed out like it's oh. been. I mean, I've been back there a bunch of have times. Have you been on Michigan Avenue? I mean, there yeah. are there are parcels right on the Magnificent Mile that are now completely emptied out of, of retail. You know, just vacant storefronts upon vacant storefronts. Chicago is held up better than a lot of other places, but even... The Magnificent Mile is just a shell of what it was a couple of years ago. And that, you know, is, you know, retail, had, it was entering a rough spot to begin with. Tourism right. just down. There's a, you know, the looting has been just crazy and just nonstop for the last two years. And a lot of retailers are just fed up with that and they're pulling camp. So that's another factor in all of this. And I actually, when I'm looking around at all the the retail and then also commercial real estate in, in downtown Chicago, as I look out the window here, I'm looking at a bunch of buildings that are, are skyscrapers 
with tons of office space that there aren't people in there anymore and they're not and the businesses that used to service them i.e. places to grab lunch dry cleaners all the different places they're gone so uh right. you know i've seen this well, firsthand I, I would just say here's the thing right so so in that frame right we know that the commercial real estate especially office space has been the hardest hit um so that's not going to be inflationary that's going to actually be deflationary as far as things go um, but with that, you know, and I was just in Chicago talking to the um, to a real estate group and they said, hey, Andy, give us a positive outlook for the future. And I said, not a problem. The best thing I will tell you is that nobody's going to be building in downtown for a while. And they were like, oh, that's why is that good news? I said, because eventually people come back to cities um, it, it, throughout history, especially when there's been pandemics and outbreaks like this, people do move away from the central business districts. You see that time and again, whether it's, you know, 1917, 1918 bird flu or, you know, take your pick of major outbreaks. But eventually they come back because that's where, as you just talked and described, that's where this really dynamic, interesting um, meeting places, not only for young people, but also for businesses and, and for all the things that you talked about. We're not there yet. It's going to take a while for that to occur. The unfortunate thing in all of that is we found that sometimes it can take an enormous amount of time to bring those yeah. people back. Um, right. there's, and and some cities, it never years. comes quite back Uh you know, Detroit is just starting to come back. That's a, a place where they had a thriving downtown and then a downtown that was dead for years. So, yeah, I, I, I but I agree with you. I know where you're coming from. And yes, especially a city like Chicago, I think they're maybe even better in better shape um, as far as bringing people back in the long run than some other places as well. Right. And so my point that I would say is this. Right. So there's always opportunities with inflation and deflation. Right. To some extent. Right. So. The hot housing market is away from the central business district. It's not necessarily outside of the city. It is to some extent right now, but there's still pockets within the city that are interesting. But but that's like if you're a long term investor and, and if you're looking at like opportunities to buy stuff that's cheap, that's where you're getting at when it comes to the major cities. Now, on the flip side of that, right out in the suburbs, there's just unbelievable growth going on. You mentioned North Carolina, Austin, Texas. Boise, Idaho, um, Phoenix, Arizona, Tempe, Arizona. I mean, there's all sorts of places where people are moving to that are growth opportunities as well. And that's not going to change. Um, and some of the growth opportunities, I think, will accelerate over time um, because there is this migration out of some of the northern areas into the southern areas. And you see that with the census data. And you can actually see that with some of the census data that they put out um, between um, the outbreak of the virus and uh, this past summer, where it showed that California had a lot of people moving out of that state uh, for a number of different reasons, San Francisco and L.A., but they're moving to places, again, as you mentioned, whether it's Idaho, whether it's Arizona or so on. Those are the opportunities where you're going to be looking at, you know, do you want to buy developers there? Do you want to buy REITs? Um, do you want to invest in uh, single-family homes? I mean, these are the opportunities that come with inflation. Moving away from housing and real estate, I, there's a whole bunch of areas that are, are being impacted. Even just this week, the White House is talking meat. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just really interesting how uh, this is popping up in a bunch of areas, and a, and a lot of folks don't even have answers right now. 
mean, it, it, it depends on what part of the economy you're talking about, but let's break it down. I mean, obviously, the supply chain issues have been significant. As, as I kind of laid out, you know, when you have the demand go up for goods and you have the decline in spending on, on services, like we're not built like as an economy to fulfill the number of, of, of the demand for those goods. Um, it's so significantly the the number of like U.S. goods demanded went up by like 25 percent, and the supply only went up by five. That's how you get a supply chain problem. So so that's an issue. Um, then you have labor shortages because um, for a number of different reasons. I mean, you can go from um, things like uh, the addition of 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 um, you know, extended unemployment benefits. Um, you can get into uh, whether or not there's um, people who have to stay at home to um, take care of the elderly or child or lack of child care, so they have to stay home for that, or if they're just retiring early. So I think that's also a, a demographic problem when it comes to labor overall when we're talking about inflation. So those are two things that I think because of the shift in spending that's really caused a lot of problems uh, and, and jacked up prices across the country and a wide range of products. The Fed has really been behind this, too. Uh, for a long time, they had said this inflation is transitory. Obviously, it's here. How long and how far does this inflation go from your view? More importantly is how do we how do we make some big gains on this? Well, let's start off with like how far is this going to go? Because you have to be very careful. Because I think we're at the peak of inflation. I mean, when you get a CPI number that's six point eight percent back in November, that's extraordinary. I mean, like I never thought we would see something that strong and, again. And, but I, I, it's just kind of blew my hair off, right? And, and that's a good thing. I'm glad you mentioned that because everybody's been talking about this. Everybody knows inflation right now. The knee-jerk thing is, oh well, then everything that's inflation that you know is going to benefit from much higher inflation is, is the play. And again, toothpaste is out of the tube. Everybody knows about this now. So just kind of explain how there's a risk too. I mean, it's it, you could if you think that we're not at a peak and you start acting that way, and we are, you could really misplay this. So I'm glad you kind of talked about that and, and kind of go into more detail about how. We're, we're kind of close to a peak and, and don't get too excited because a lot of this has already been built in. Yeah, I think on the supply chain stuff, I think that will work itself out over the next six to nine months. Um, we're already seeing some some improvements in the chip situation. Um, we're starting to see uh, production um, improvements uh, for autos. That's really one of the key areas. Uh, you know, and we don't have to get into the chip situation, but just suffice it to say that the automakers screwed up. You know, they dropped their orders and then the chip makers said, fine, we'll, we'll put them in, you know, handhelds or computers or whatever. And then all of a sudden people realized, hey, I want to drive my car. I'm not going to fly in a plane. And so then the demand went through the roof. Now, you know, I mean, that's one of the biggest areas of inflation is used cars. So um, I know people who are flipping used cars. I mean, just like flipping houses. It's crazy. But you have to be very careful with that because it, it's like, you know, if you're an investor, you look at some of these things as you, you try to say, okay, what's really the opportunity here? How long are we going to have this extended inflation at these levels? And I would say it, at 6.8%, I'd say the runway on that is 
at the most July, because I think we'll start to see some severe changes um, in production. I, I think we'll see supply chains start to catch up a little bit by that time. The place where it doesn't change, Andy, and this is, I, I think, a real important point, is on the labor side. Um, we're building in inflation right now into a lot of uh, union contracts. Um, we're building inflation in on the COLA adjustments for Social Security. And we're going to see big cost of living adjustments for, or not cost of living, just big increases um, in negotiated pay settlements like the one we saw with Deer. So um, I, I think that's going to continue in. So when you look at the universe of what you want to start to invest in, with that in mind, you, you want to start to say, hey, Who's making investments in capital expenditures to actually reduce their their labor costs? That that's where you really want to start to see where some investments are. You know, who's making the technology to do that, right? Those are the kind of things that you try to look at. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll talk plays with uh, Andy on the other side. Uh, just real quick, we're we're going to do a couple plugs here, so be sure to subscribe. Follow and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if that's an option for you, you would uh, really be doing me a solid. Again, um, you know, giving us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts uh, is, is podcast gold. And then, as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. Uh, real quick before we go to a break, Andy, uh, any plugs for you? We always, you know... <laughs> Talk about your website, Andrew Bush, and that's B-U-S-C-H dot com. Uh, any plugs you want to get in here before we throw it to a break? Yeah, you know, I try to keep my Twitter releases kind of small but impactful, but at A-B-U-S-C-H, I'll put one or two articles out a day that I really like that somebody else has probably written. Um, so check me out. Follow me there. Uh, I think you'll like it. If it's uh, popping up on your Twitter uh you know, I'm going to definitely take a take a look for sure. Um, so be sure to check out Andy's Twitter account. Okay, we're going to be right back, and we'll be uh, we'll continue the discussion. We'll get some plays with uh, Andy Bush on the other side of the break. All right, back with Andrew Bush, former Chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. An economist at andrewbush.com, Bush, B-U-S-C-H. So Andrew, B-U-S-C-H.com. Check out his website. Yeah, like the beer, not the president. That's what I tell people. Yeah, like the beer, (laughs) not the president. Okay, so, you know, we kind of set the table here. You, You mentioned that inflation's running hot now, but, you know, there is light at the end of the inflation tunnel, so to speak. And then the other thing I just wanted to throw in there, too, is as we move through 2022, the comps aren't going to look as bad either because, you know, you're going by last year's, uh, you, you know, when you're comparing uh, inflation, we're looking at last year's higher numbers now when we start doing comparisons. So that's a factor, too. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that plays out. But I, I think um, steps are being taken by the Federal Reserve to you know, reduce the amount of stimulus they're putting in the economy. Um, there are other things that are happening, like the end of the un, you know extended unemployment benefits that happened in September. Uh, we're getting the ending of the um, extended child tax credit uh, as well. So the 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 funds that are flowing out from the U.S. government are going to slow down in 
giving money directly to people. They're going to continue when it comes to infrastructure. Um, so uh, that's where I think uh, we'll continue to see some pretty strong growth. But overall, um, the direct payments to people, that's going to slow down. So we'll see how that plays out as far as consumer spending goes. There is a shift, you know, under the surface going on in the market right now. But as we're starting the new year, what is the inflation play? What what are you looking at? What are the areas? What You know, what's the play for you at this point? Yeah, I mean, I still like real estate, uh, you know, just not office leasing right now. Um, there's other components of that you can get involved with with REITs. There and, and, are and you know what, real REITs. quick, let's just stop there at REITs. That's one area that I've been even looking at lately as a potential uh, play here. REITs, what, what kind of REITs are you looking at? Are you, I mean, you, you said commercial, obviously, it would be some concern. But there's there, there are all kinds of REITs, especially in, the, in mortgage REITs. There's residential housing REITs. Um, and then you have like an Annaly Capital, which is a REIT that pays a huge dividend, by the way, that's in both uh, residential and commercial. So uh, when, when you're looking at REITs, what's the play there? Specifically, yeah, I, I like two that are out there that you know that have benefited already, and and there's some extent they're tied to um, a lot of the infrastructure spending that are out there. One is American Tower Corporation. Um, this this is a REIT that owns, leases, and operates multi-tenant communication um, with about 180,000 sites. Um, another one is SBA uh, Communications Corporation. Um, you know, it's it's about a $30 billion uh, REIT, and they own and operate 30,000 cell towers. You know, and, and as we're rolling out 5G, you can imagine, you know, there's a lot of demand there. But obviously, there's, um, from the bipartisan infrastructure plan, there's uh, $65 billion worth of broadband uh, spending that's going out, um, you know, over the next couple of years. So they're going to continue to do quite well. And you know, and again, if if we're still working from home, which you know a lot of people will be doing, uh, given Omicron or Omicron and um, and the and the different variants that have come out, these are you know a couple of REITs that are going to do very well, or at least you won't get killed with them, but you can expect them to do well um, given this inflationary environment. Uh, okay, so in just recapping those, you said American Tower Corp, and the ticker on that is AMT. So American Tower Corp, AMT, got about a a, a percent and a half yield. Explain what they did or what they do again. They own, lease, and operate multi-tenant communication real estate. Um, The the wireless, um, they they do a lot of stuff with wireless. I I don't want to get too granular here because we don't have enough time for that. But um, just take a look at these guys. you tell me what you think, but I, I like them and have liked them for some time. SBAC is the other one. SBA Communications Corp, the ticker SBAC. That was your other pick, I believe. Uh, not much yeah. of a, a dividend, but uh, certainly uh, an interesting chart as well. So uh, uh, other picks, what what else are you looking at? Well, I mean, I hate to, <laughs> you know, you hate to tell people the same thing they've heard and, and experienced quite a bit, but you know, there's a lot of technology companies that are doing really well, obviously Apple being one of them. Um, and, and you know, you, when you look at companies, what you want to do when you're in an inflationary environment is look at their ability to raise prices. You know, if they've got a pretty good moat around their business that they can 
take the costs that they're seeing, the increased costs that are coming to hit their businesses, and then put them back out to the consumers and the consumers still buy them. That's really you know, what you're looking at. And I guess Apple would be kind of a shiny example of that. Um, you know, another company that kind of comes to mind, and this is a little bit out there, but Trade Desk, uh, that's an interesting, uh, this is a cloud-based uh, digital advertising platform. And if you think about it, if everybody's sitting in front of their computers still, which they are, um, and, you know, working from home, then, you know, the ability to advertise uh, through their uh, platform is, you know, still obviously something, you know, that would benefit, um, that, that they would benefit from. And uh, I, I think um, it, that's an interesting company as well. To so just like to not get too far away, because I, I love giving our, you know, Gaines listeners also the ticker. And, and it's so, again, the one that you just mentioned there, Trade Desk. Trade Desk is the company. And the ticker on that is TTD. So uh, go ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a NASDAQ uh, company. So that's, you know, that's just kind of an interesting one. Um, Anything, and just real quick, too, since, we're, you know, we're talking, in, you know, inflation, energy's often uh, a play. What, what do you right. feel about the energy space? Do you see anything in there? Is there any either high-yielding play there? Or, you know, what's your feel? Do you put, do you play the companies? Do you go long ETF oil? Do you go show me? Maybe it's close to a top. Where do you think uh, oil and energy, how do, how does that play into the mix? Yeah, you got to be careful with some of these ETFs, you know, because they use options to create long positions um, and those degrade. Especially if they're multi, you know, especially on those leverage, if they're two or three times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's your problem. So in other words, if you expect a big move fast in oil, then by all means. Um, but otherwise, you got to be very careful about, um, you know, the options that they use. They'll degrade. They'll cost you money. Um, my, my feeling on oil is that um, it's going to continue to go up. I don't see it pulling back anytime soon. There's so much forward momentum in all of the economies globally, um, and especially in the United States. We're going to grow somewhere between 35 to 4.5% um, in 2022. I know that's a wide range, but, I mean, there is a lot of momentum uh, in this economy. It's not going away anytime soon. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of consumer uh, savings, that, excess savings, about $2 trillion worth of excess savings. That hasn't been spent, so we'll see where that goes. But that'll fuel, you know, some pretty good growth. And then you've got all the spending that's coming on the infrastructure stuff. So again, that's really good stuff. Um, as far as oil goes, though, yeah, I think you know, I, I think we can get to a hundred dollars a barrel uh, in 2022, and maybe 125. And this is coming from a a, a very pro EV guy, so that yeah. that's interesting. You you because I know we've talked about it before. You see the potential for EV and probably getting here quicker than a lot of people uh, anticipate, but you're also realistic about oil. Yeah. And I think the thing, it's always about transition, right? You, you don't, it's not like you snap your fingers and then everybody's got an EV or an AEV, which is autonomous electric vehicle. Um, but there's a lot of progress being made on that. Um, we just had news out this uh, last week about um, uh, TSP, I'm trying to think of the true, true, uh, true simple, um, truck, uh, this is an, uh, AEV company that just ran from Phoenix to Tucson, their very first, um, autonomous truck, uh, being driven that distance. Is that uh, TU simple holdings? TU simple yeah. holdings? TSP is the ticker. Okay. 
So that's an interesting company. But in this transitionary period, it's going to take a while before we, we get to where we need to go. It's going to happen fast, but it's not going to happen in 2022 or in 2023. So, you know, where oil is, the lack of uh, spending or CapEx that's been put into oil and the oil fields um, is pretty extraordinary. We're way underinvested right now. Um, there has been movement to get out of these fossil fuels, and, and that's great, but the transition is messy. Um, we're not there yet as far as whatever we need to, to generate as far as natural gas or oil to keep the economy running. So you need a lot of those fossil fuels for some time. So that's why, you know, underinvestment, high demand is a great recipe for higher prices. And that's what we're seeing in oil. You, you talked about the uh, trucks going across uh, or making that autonomous trip. You know, it's in- interesting. I, if I'm not mistaken, you might know this. I believe they were using NVIDIA's newest chips in the, in that space. And, and, you know, we've talked about supply chain and how it's impacted auto and, and whatnot. Do you like the the chips? Do you like companies like NVIDIA? I mean, they're, they're used in a whole yeah. bunch of areas. I mean, crypto. Uh, I, I mean, there's just <laughs> yeah. so many different areas of uh, graphic cards for gaming. Um, and then they also have chips for like, what, like, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the NVIDIA chips were, uh, in the trucks that you, you would just talked about. So how about it, it chips and how does that play in this as well? Yeah. And I think the thing that's interesting, you know, if, <clears throat> if you buy into, you know, electric vehicles, what you're buying into is a total change in the way that we do production. And the reason why I say that is because there are about in the drive in the drive chain of an electric vehicle, it's about 200, 200 moving parts. In a drive chain of an ICE in, internal combustion engine, there's 2000. So these vehicles aren't going to break down in the same way that the other vehicles broke down, right? Because there's just a lot more moving parts. Right. But the other thing that's interesting flipping that is that I think for an ICE engine, Right, you're talking about a thousand chips for a EV engine. You're talking about two thousand, so it's double. I'm not sure if that's the exact number, but it's something like that. And right, if right. that's the case, then the demand for chips is never going to go down. It's only going to go up because as we transition from ICE engines to EV engines, the demand for those chips is going to continue to go up significantly. And, so and in yeah. other areas too. I mean, we're not even t- scratching the surface on the metaverse and all these other right. areas. So, I mean, you're, you're, I think you're right spot on with the chips. Is there going to be, it, it'll be forever before we see any kind of decline. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is like, it'll take you a while. There, there's, there's three big factories that I know of that are going to get built uh, as far as semiconductors go. There's two outside of Austin. There's one in Phoenix that's going to get built. And it's going to take a while for those to come online. So um, we're still subject to uh, some of the, you know, supply chain issues. And by the way, you're also subject to geopolitical issues because, of course, Taiwan Semiconductor is the world's largest producer of chips. And, of course, they're in Taiwan. So if we have any problem between China and Taiwan, forget about it. You, you got you got some serious issues as far as supply chain goes when it comes to chips. So that's why, you know, people that are producing those um, outside of Taiwan, you know, that's that's an interesting area if you want to get a little bit of geopolitical, um, uh, you know, exposure there. You speak about Taiwan. If a lot of people aren't familiar with what's going on there, you know, that was part of China 
at one point. It's an island. It's something they want to bring back into China. It's its own country right now, Taiwan, a.k.a. New China. That could be a factor uh, not only for Taiwan Semiconductor, but then if there's disruption there, like like you were just talking about, tons of companies impacted. And then, then that could benefit some of the other their competition as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and in a positive way. Right. So it, just the outlook, you know, when you're looking anything, when we're looking at stocks and we're looking at all this stuff, just remember, it, it's not about today necessarily that matters, you know, or the next quarter or the next, you know, five quarters. What we're trying to, you know, do here, Andy, I think, is to project out like, hey, what are the opportunities you know, 18 months, 36 months, where you can really hold on to something and watch it appreciate instead of trying to trade it. If you want to trade it, then you're looking at a super compressed time frame. That's not what I'm talking about here. So just to be really clear for everybody listening. Yeah, you always uh, do take the long view, which is a smart thing long term. It's it's very difficult to trade the market, even though us degenerate gains <laughs> we that's that's what we live for but um yeah it is it is really tough to uh time the market and and trade on a day-to-day where if you come up with a discipline long-term plan that tends to be really really effective hey just one note uh taiwan uh, semiconductor the uh, ticker on that is uh tsm um, so as we're wrapping up, so we got a bunch of picks and different areas to look at and how they'll kind of play out with this inflation thing. Uh, as we wrap up today's gains podcast, Andy, any parting shots here, a- any other ideas for the, the gains listener today, uh, Andy? Look, it's the start of a new year. Uh, when I was trading and especially when I was trading currencies, uh, for an investment bank, like, don't be fooled by what goes on in the first two weeks. I mean, we, we're you all and me both. Trends. We were both. We, I mean, like, I'm a former currency guy too, and isn't that yeah. you know the first two weeks? That does not dictate where the year's headed. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, so you gotta, you kind of have to start going. Okay, yes, the trends that were in place in 2021 are still influencing today, and that's what's going on. Now, that's also included what's going on in inflation. That's what's going on in, in investment. Um, you know, that, that, that hurt, you know, inflation hurts interest, interest rate, you know, bonds, things like that tips do pretty well, but just try to, you know, really be thoughtful about what you're doing. If you're trading great, get in there, get in, get out, you know, take some shots, whatever, but just remember these trends, I've seen them reverse so quickly in, in a new year. And then by the time you realize what's happened, it's like mid-February and you're like, darn it, I missed that first big move because I, I thought things were just going to keep going in the direction I wanted them. Do you when, when you come up with a plan and you invest, do you plan out your moves and pricing and all that ahead of time? I think having a plan and, and sticking to it and being disciplined takes out the emotion. We always talk about how that's really, really dangerous. How do you manage that? How do you manage emotion? How do you come up with a plan to say, okay, if it, you know, if this happens, then I do this and this and this, if this happens, I do this, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, there's two, there's two ways of approaching it. Um, like I'm getting involved in certain stocks and I'll, we'll talk about it next time I come on, but I'm trying to do it in a thoughtful way, you know, um, where I'm 
allocating a certain amount per per month or per quarter to an investment strategy that I like that's long-term in nature, right? So I really, I'm not that concerned about the price. I'm just concerned about being consistent and getting that money to work, right? So that there's that. And, and there's the aspect that you just talked about, which is the emotional aspect. Like it's really hard, even for a guy like me who's been trading and doing this stuff for a long time to execute under duress. And under duress, I mean, I'm going back to March of 2020. And I, I had a pile of cash that I had, my strategy was to invest. And I'll tell you what, it was really hard to do that when the world was falling apart, because you just don't want to do it. You're like, oh, maybe if I'll wait, you know, it, it'll, you know, it'll go a little bit lower. This feels really bad. I probably need some cash for something else. Don't do that. Have the plan, put it into your systems and just do it. Like, unless there's a really good reason not to do your plan, like, unless something really has changed significantly, like, the opportunities come when, obviously, there's duress. And so keep that in mind as you're doing this. So have a plan, stick to it as best you can, and be ready to operate under duress. One final question for you. Do you, are you a big fan of dollar cost averaging in and out of positions? As long as you say, okay, I'm going to dollar cost average into this position when it gets to X, you know, like I'm going to reevaluate, meaning like if you're, you say, I'm going to dollar cost average from a stock that's $100, like every $10 down to 70. Okay. But what happens when it goes to 50? Like, are you still buying? If you are, then you're changed your plan, right? And you're probably doing something you shouldn't be doing. So what I always try to do is whenever I set up a strategy, I always put in my stop loss. Whatever it is, at that point, I get out and then I reevaluate. Um, that's the best thing I can tell. That's the most long-term critical thing that you can do to make money is to have that discipline to put the stop losses in when you put the positions on right away so that you don't, you know, you're not surprised and you're not just buying and building into bad positions. The, on the flip side of that, what's really hard to do is I was, you know, the opposite of duress is when it starts going in the direction you, you think it's going to go and you don't have the size of the position that you want on yet. You still have to buy. You still have to go in and buy those stocks. And that's not easy to do. Oh, especially I, if, 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 if we've seen it, it, it make its move and, and you're still trying to get into that position, correct? Yeah. 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 So you, again, though, you have to adjust. If, if it's going up and you start buying, then if it starts to fall back on your face, then you got to go, okay. You know, what am I doing here? Where's my stop loss? Am I going to still execute? Those are the kind of things that are challenging for sure for any trader. And and again, you can put in like you, you can say that there's no emotion. And that's true. As long as you program in your stop losses, that's that's where the emotion gets taken out. You know, there's a boxing term. They always say that uh, every boxer's got a great plan until they get hit in the face. And I, I you know, I just think, you know, that's you just got to. Come up with a great plan and then be disciplined to stick to it and then be willing to make subtle changes if necessary. Um, well, hey, Andy, always great to have you on the Gaines podcast. You know, again, as mentioned, Andy uh, is former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. His website, he's an economist at Andrew Bush. BushLikeTheBeer.com, so AndrewBush.com. And then, as Andy mentioned earlier, 
Uh, you, be sure to check out his Twitter account, and that's at a Bush a b u s c h. Uh, his Twitter account at a Bush. He uh, finds some interesting articles, and will often uh, move those along to his followers on his Twitter account. So uh, a valuable resource there. Any other plugs before I, I let you go, Andy? No, that's it, and it's a blast to be on with this. And I just hope everybody gives you, you know, goes to Apple. And gives you a five-star review because that'll help uh, keep this podcast going. Yeah, yeah, I, and, and that would be a real solid. So, uh, Andy, we'll have you uh, on again real soon. Tons of technology and exciting things we're going to talk about in 2022. So that's going to wrap up our Gains podcast. As always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. We are back on Thursday, and I will see you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey.